For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn. Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group will be your guides for straight talk and honest answers about living the life you deserve in retirement. So So prepare prepare to be be empowered. Now, here are your Show Me The Money hosts, Randy Floyd and Jeff Shade. Good morning and welcome to Show Me The Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade and I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Jake is uh, probably going to have the day off today, so Randy, I'll turn to you. Good morning. How's the uh, morning treating you so far, my friend? You know, it's a great morning here in the Ozarks and uh, I just can't complain at all. I I'm so glad to hear that. I hope our listeners are having a great morning as well. Randy, we've had the ups and downs of the temperature here. We were talking a little bit off the air earlier about, you know, I'm really uh, sort of a glass half full kind of a guy, wishful thinking. And I was hoping that maybe spring was here. The temperatures are certainly indicating that spring's just around the corner. But you said very flatly, no. I don't know. Puxatani Phil hasn't come out yet. (laughs) Nevertheless, uh, we'll take what we get here, and certainly we're glad to have everybody join us here for another edition of Show Me the Money. we got a lot to talk about, so let's get started with this as far as current events go, Randy. Earnings season is coming up here pretty soon. I don't know if we're in earnings season quite yet, but I think a lot of people don't understand what is earnings season. I mean, don't you earn all year long? Yes, Jeff. You, we hopefully that yeah, everybody hopefully. is earning all year long, right? <laughs> yeah. But, so earnings season has to do with all the publicly traded companies that are out there in the Dow Jones, the S and P five hundred, the Nasdaq, the Russell two thousand. There's even one called the Wilshire 5000 that most people don't talk about much anymore. But all those companies report earnings as part of what they have to do, and they do that quarterly. So the end of the quarter, uh, 2023, was December. And so some of those companies are starting to report, you know, by the 10th through 12th of January through the 15th. And now toward the tail end of this month and through the 15th of February, we're going to get the bulk of all the big companies reporting their earnings. Now, the reason that's important is... You know, obviously, when you invest money, your goal is to do what? Is make, to make yeah, money. Make money, yeah. So the corporation that you own stock in must make money for that to be a good, viable investment long term. So what we're looking at is we're tracking what is their sales revenue and what is their bottom line profit that they're bringing in. And that's a really good indicator as to how their business is going. That is a lot of what makes companies' values go up. As they do more business and create more business, then their value is more. We look back over our shoulder, we look at Apple that was, uh, you and I can remember this back in the, probably the 80s, when Apple was a very small company, just Mm -hmm. about to go out of business even. And then it became the largest corporation on the face of the earth at nearly $3 trillion for a while. Now it's only second place to Microsoft, which did breach $3 trillion just recently. May not be quite there now, but uh, we'll be back there again. So earnings season is a very, very important indicator of how business is doing and probably one of the leading indicators of where the market is going as if we see the majority of companies having good revenue and good profit that's a very positive thing. Randy, you mentioned Apple. Are there other companies, for example, in the Magnificent Seven, do their earnings results, I think, way more heavily than any other companies? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the larger the company, obviously, the the more uh, weight it carries. Now, that comes as kind of a double-edged sword. If a person is out looking at these stocks to buy and things like that, yay, that's awesome. One of the things that has kind of happened with Apple is Apple has kind of, they had you know exponential growth for a long time. They kind of topped out, and they were a growth company for years. Now that their growth was not but maybe 2% year over year, which that is not a growth company. So that's kind of why they've taken a, a backseat to Microsoft. Microsoft has continued to show resilience and growth. And so when we look at these things, we have to kind of take them as they come in. So yes, right. Apple's big. They are probably nearly 7% of the entire S&P 500 market cap, along with Microsoft and those. So we have to look at these companies and say, how are they doing? What does it mean for that like Magnificent Seven you talked about, which is the Amazons of the world, the Metas, the old Facebook, right. uh, Google, and then we look at Apple, we look at Microsoft. You know, those are the ones. NVIDIA now has become one of those companies. Mm -hmm. When we look at those, those things, while they are doing good, man, they can really push and carry a lot of the market. But we have to get deeper into looking at markets than that, because if we only take a sampling of four, five, six, seven companies, many times if we look, and this has been the case in the past year recently, if we look back over our shoulder when we had the negative 20% in 2022, uh, and then when we, we rallied back early on, that Magnificent Seven was the one that led everything. So seven companies were carrying the entire stock market. That's probably not healthy because we're way too centered on that industry and everything else was suffering. Randy, let's talk about unemployment. I've got an article here that uh, talks about all of the companies have been laying off people, and I was surprised that maybe it's not as bad as what at least it appears to be on the surface. Unemployment is actually pretty good right now, isn't it? Yeah, we're still near the lowest ever in terms of percentage of people not working. Now, we're seeing, like you said, some pretty good amounts of layoffs, several thousand at some companies, at the 12,000, I think, at one Mm -hmm. And several, you know, in the 1,000 to 2,000 range. But again, I still say, you know, most people that want to work have a job. I say most. All people that want to work have a job. <laughs> okay. Because there's, there, there's uh, you know, there's jobs out there everywhere. But unemployment, you know, one of the things that the Fed is looking at, you know, uh, Jerome Powell, in fact, you know, he's the guy that controls interest rates. And one of the things they look at is what is happening with unemployment, what is happening with employment, what is the wage increase, is it spiking, is it level, what's going on there? And of course, they're always also measuring against, you know, what's the inflation rate that's coming up tied to his Fed funds rate. Talking with Randy Floyd of Floyd Financial Group, we're talking about current events. We just discussed the earnings season. We talked about employment and unemployment. And again, with technology, Randy, I mean, I'm seeing that Google laid off people, Microsoft, I mean, TikTok, Amazon-owned companies, Salesforce. But on the other hand, on the retail side of things, eBay, REI, Levi's, Macy's. I don't know if we're ever going to see those jobs come back with retail because the face of retail has changed dramatically. I mean, other than the week before Christmas, I go into a retail store, you could shoot a shotgun, you know, down the aisle and not hit anybody. <laughs> that's really true. It, it, that's, that's happening for sure. And of course, if you think about it, you know, it's still just the continuation in the evolution of business in general in a lot of ways. So while, yes, it's negative for some people, you know, we can look back over our shoulder, Jeff. And when I grew up and was in high school, my family owned a little country store right. in a town of 91 people. 
Mm-hmm. And those people aren't around anymore. Those, those types of businesses just didn't survive, couldn't survive as everything came along. The Walmarts, and of course, we've also seen that beginning probably 20 years ago, we saw Montgomery Wards go away. We finally saw Sears have to call it a day. Uh, we saw Kmart uh, with the Blue Light Special come up and oh, blow yeah. up. And, you know, so I think it's just a continuing saga in the changing of the guard and how things are going. And it will create opportunity. You know, the, the there's an old saying, I don't know who said it, but it, with every seed of adversity lies the seed of a of greater opportunity, you know. <laughs> and so I truly believe that that's, that's the case. So uh, one of the things that we're seeing right now is we are seeing disinflation out there in the marketplace, which is a good thing right now. We're, I think we're down from where we were at 9 plus percent annualized inflation down to about 2.9 is where we're tracking right now. That is good news for the economy that disinflation, not that we're deflating, we're just right. not increasing as quickly as we were. Right. So there's a difference between inflation and deflation and disinflation. And as you said, disinflation annualized at 2.9%. Let's talk a little bit about uh, oil and gas prices right now. They appear to be down. Right. They are. You know, I don't know. Uh, I drive a, a vehicle that burns diesel, you know, yeah. and uh, diesel's gone from like $4.50 a gallon to $3.11 a gallon. Wow. And gasoline has come down as well. You know, oil and gas are one of the things that's a primary driver of inflation and the cost of doing business for everybody. Most everything has to move. Mm -hmm. And when it costs more to move things, that has to get passed along to the end user. And it's also, I mean, really, 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 really key looking forward for what Jerome Powell may do with the Fed funds rate and also what's going to happen with mortgage rates. Yeah, and you're right about how things move. I mean, most of the things that we get are delivered by truck. We have certainly a lot of light-duty vehicles that are delivering things locally, but look at the trains. I mean, I don't know that the trains run on electricity. I'm pretty sure that they don't. So actually, the price of oil and gas, very, very important, and right now they're down, and I'm thankful for that. Let's talk about mortgage rates a little bit. I mean, you put a chart out there that I saw, and it was really rather interesting about where mortgage rates have been versus where they are now. Yeah, it's one of those things that sometimes we have to really go back and look at history to check ourselves, right? Right. Because all of a sudden, if we aren't careful over time, we start to believe things that sometimes are just not true. Mm -hmm. So I was looking back. In fact, I looked at mortgage rates, uh, the 30-year rate dating all the way back to 1972. So what would you have guessed the 1972 mortgage rate would have been? This is going to be a wild guess, Randy, but I'm going to say 1972. I'm going to say it was like 7, 8%, something like yeah. that. It's a wild right. guess. Wild guess. So 7.38. Oh. Now let's talk about what was happening simultaneously through there. We had what? We had inflation, if you remember oh, back yeah. in the 70s and right through there. I remember specifically that we were fighting that in our little country store that we owned. Well, then by 1980, when the Fed came in and raised interest rates, we had 16% 30-year fixed mortgages. I remember getting my first mortgage in 1983. I got 10 and a quarter, and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because everybody else was getting 16 and 18. But by 1987, that was 104 And then right through the dot-com bubble in 2008, the average interest rate for 30 years was 8.08. And then we had the financial crisis in 2007, 8, and 9. By 2011, uh, we were at 4.65. 2012, we were at 3.88. Then we hung out 
in that range of 3 and 4% until 2021, which across the board was 3.15. I did see people getting rates of less than 3% across the country. But right now we're back at 7. So if we were to look back historically over the last 52 years, right now, the last I saw, we're at about 6.3, the best rates out there right now. I'd say we're actually right in the middle of where things have been for 50 years. We're talking with Randy Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. And Randy, before we continue, I want to take just a moment here to talk to our listeners and remind them about how they can have a conversation with you and Jake to ask their questions about the economy, the markets, and how it will affect them in their journey towards retirement. If you're looking for some answers, I want you to request your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review. You can do it right now by calling 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. You can call it this weekend if you want. Simply leave your information there, your name and the telephone number. Ashley will give you a call back on the next business day and set you up with an appointment with Randy and Jake to ask your questions. Now, remember, it's a no-tie zone. It's just a casual conversation. There is no obligation and certainly there is no judgment. It's not going to cost you a dime. But this conversation could uncover some blind spots that, when addressed, may help improve your quality of life and retirement that, get this, could last as long as 30 years if you take care of yourself. Once again, do it this weekend. That number to call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Ready, time for a break. When we come back here and show me the money, we'll continue our conversation about current events. Later on in the program, we'll be talking about sequence of return risk, and we'll be talking about trust, whether or not you need one or not. All that and more when our show continues right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for another helping of some more real money talk? Thought so. Now, here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your hosts, Randy and Jeff Shade. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy Floyd. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to continue with some current events. But I want to talk, Jeff, about interest rates and long-term stock market returns right quick. Okay, so let's start off with the short-term interest rates, Randy. Where are they? Where are they going? What's your idea and what's going to happen there? Yeah, so, you know, right now for retirees, a lot of us are saying, you know, this is the best fixed interest rate that we have seen since probably 2005, six or seven to where we can actually put money in relatively short term. I'm talking, you know, three, six, nine, 12 months, get a 5% return on our investment. So that's 50,000 a year on a million dollar investment where, you know, prior to Jerome raising interest rates, we were getting somewhere between 5,000 and 10000 a year off of a million-dollar investment, and that was really difficult for retirees to live on. So right now, a lot of retirees are enjoying just riding this fixed interest rate, and that's great. The only thing is, I don't know that it's going to last forever, but, you know, at 5 or 5.5%, that's pretty good. A lot of people can live there, especially if they have done well saving money over the long haul. Now, I want to ask you a hypothetical question. Uh, not hypothetical. I want to ask you... A loaded <laughs> question. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> what do you think the return on the S&P 500, that's the broad stock market, has been since, and and by the way, the S&P 500 and the stocks and things within there is primarily what people are investing their 401k, 457s, and 403bs into. What would you say the average rate of return has been since 2000? Mm, okay, since 2000, obviously have not been in the business like you have been. So I'm going to take a 
a wild guess and say, I'll just throw a number out there, say 7%. Well, that's exactly correct. Now, really? The reason I wanted, yeah, the reason I Are wanted you, to bring this up... That was a guess. ...is, is because... I think the number is actually like 7.32, but okay. 7 is close enough. So the reason I bring this up is looking at the differential between, generally speaking, when we look at fixed interest rates and fixed instruments, they are lower risk than the stock market. But for there to only be a 2% disparity between those two begs the question when you're in retirement, and we're going to talk about this in another segment, this thing called sequence of returns and how it can affect your retirement life. For that little a difference, if we can maintain something, you know, in the 5% range for fixed interest, that would be a very good thing for retirees long term. And even though these interest rates have driven up mortgage rates, and we talked about this earlier already, mortgage rates, while they're higher and they're uncomfortable, historically, they're not that far out of line. You know, maybe we're going to hit a sweet spot here. I don't know, but I think maybe we might hit a sweet spot, and it may be... And that's the thing, you know, we can look at history, we can learn from it, but we can't predict the exact timing of when it may partially repeat itself. I think one of the biggest things to take away from our entire conversation here that we've had today so far is oil goes up, oil comes down. Mortgage right. rates go up, mortgage rates come down. Short-term interest goes up, interest goes up, interest goes down. Markets make money, markets lose money. So when you consider investments and how you're going to place your retirement savings, it really is more than just Okay, this is where we are today. This is how we're going to invest it. Wow, honey, I'm glad that's over. We're all done, right? Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Carson had a pillow on his couch in his Malibu home that said, timing is everything. And it, <laughs> it really applied to comedy, but it also applies to this as well, too. They go up and they go down. It's just a matter of when you strike to get the best deal. Right. So the biggest thing I would say is what Jake and I do here, and I will tell you, too, in today's world, I think people are... You know, it's great to have access to information and things online, mm -hmm. but we like to meet with people. We like to see people. We like to shake your hand, look you in the eye. I, I think that that's something people are wanting more and more. And they also want somebody that'll meet with them and say, hey, here's where we've been, here's where we are, here's where we think we're going, and here's why. And that's one of the things that we think is important when people are entrusting their livelihood and their life savings to any financial advisor, uh, you need someone that's accessible and ready to go with you anytime. All right. So short-term interest rates, we're talking about things like CD six, nine months, that sort of thing, maybe 18 months, 5%. We're still getting that. We can't guarantee that it's going to continue. Let's talk briefly about the long-term interest rates, S&P 500 versus the fixed. We looked back at the Fed funds rate the Fed funds rate that Jerome Powell controls is basically what banks get charged to borrow money. So if we look back to 1954, the Fed funds rate was 0.8. Uh, and then we know by 1980, it was 20 to zero. And then by 1983, it had fallen back to 8.75. Then 10.25 was my current mortgage rate in 1983 with the first home I bought. Then we saw it go in 2000 through the dot-com bubble up to six and a half. Then when we had 2007, 8, and 9, we saw them peaking out there at five and a quarter. Then we went to zero for a number of years. And then Jerome started in 2022 and spiked us back to 5.5. So what does all this tell us? It tells us that the Fed funds rate looks like a mountain range on a graph. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> but, Mount so, Kilimanjaro, it looks like. Yeah. So two things we can glean from this. Number one we can rely on one thing. It's going to change. 
Right. <laughs> and and number and number two, <laughs> which we know is the only constant in life, right? Right. It's uh, you know, from here, can it go higher? Yes. Unless we have some catastrophic event come up next, most likely from here it's going to level off or tend to go down, which creates a good scenario for people that want to buy some bonds with a little longer term duration on there. Because as he pushes rates lower, bonds we own today will become more valuable tomorrow. So all of a sudden, it may be that the 60-40 portfolio may have legs again. Interesting. We're talking with Randy Floyd here at Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about current events and how it affects you and your journey towards retirement. Randy, one of the big investment firms has put out their outlook for 2024. I just want to go down some of the highlights and get your comments on this. Number one, inflation will likely settle. However, you should still, no matter what, hedge against it. What do you think about that one? Yeah, for sure. I I think that they are right that inflation is going to continue because of some of the stuff we talked about earlier, the fact that oil and gas is down, everything has to move. So that cost is being cut. We also are seeing some additional layoffs, which is going to kind of dry up a little bit of the cash flow, even though it's still not, you know, we're not in in an unemployment crisis situation here at all. We're away from that. But it's probably going to slow things down a little bit, and that's probably going to take inflation on down a little bit more, which means that most likely, if that inflation does get down to the 2% number, that Jerome Powell will lower interest rates again. So as we build portfolios, we need to make sure that we can hedge a little bit with some bonds, some ultra short stuff for the short term, and maybe some 5, 10 year stuff for the long term as we watch to see what happens with interest rates, what will happen if he does start to push them down. The bonds that we own will appreciate in value while that money is coming out of the bonds and going into stocks. So if we have that 60-40 portfolio and money flows out of bonds into stocks, we're going to catch the upside gain after capturing the upside gain of the bond. Ta-da! That's where we want to be. (laughs) The next one is the cash conundrum, Randy. I mean, yields are tempting, like you said, it's 5%, sometimes more than that, on CDs. But is this as good as it's ever going to get, do you think? Well, the hard part is, and for people that have been visiting me for the last year, the last year I've been telling people this, it's hard to be patient. And what I mean by that is, you know, in 2021, we saw markets at all-time highs before. Then we saw a 20% decline in uh, 2022. And then we've rallied back probably about 23 or 4 or 5% from that low in 2023 and through where we are today in early 2024. So we had a two-year period where basically there was no money made. Now, the interest rates didn't start to go up from Jerome Powell until when? March of 2022, and he raised it a quarter point from zero. (laughs) Okay, so and then he started doing it a few more times, but after nine months, he had it up to about five and a quarter and then five and a half percent. And so even if you had had your money in a fixed instrument that like a money market that would have tracked that, you still would have only made about 3% over that time frame and near zero during the time prior to March of 2022 because interest rates were basically zero. So banks were paying 1% or a half percent on CDs and the same thing on treasuries and that sort of thing. Anyway, all that being said, I'm optimistic about the future right now. So that's cash. Now, this large investment firm has uh, talked about bonds in that they're more competitive than stocks, they think, moving forward in 2024. The rate reset has basically run its course. 
Right. If that's the case, like I just alluded to earlier, when rates start to push down, any bond that you own now, if it has any duration to it, so let's talk about duration. What is duration? That is the time frame, the length of that bond in relationship to where you are during that timeline. So let's say you have a 10-year bond and you're at year one uh, and interest rates really fall off the planet. You're going to get a really large market value adjustment. If you're halfway through that term, your market value adjustment won't be quite as great because that bond is not as valuable because it doesn't have the same yield to maturity that you have in that bond that has more time on it. So it's a relative thing, but yeah, bonds are going to have, I mean, it's possible that we could see on a 10-year bond that we might make 20% on a bond that has a coupon rate of four or three. Even it could be slightly less than that on a 20, maybe a 20 year bond. So that's the thing we have to look at. And people say, well, how do you make 20% on something that yields three or four? Again, it's relative to the current interest rate where it is now and how interest rates fall looking forward. And this large investment firm also said that uh, equities seem to be on a march to new highs in 2024 and that AI really, that is going to be a game changer. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, AI is here to stay, and you and I have had this conversation even behind the scenes that while there's going to be great things come out of it, it's like any other technology that we've ever had. You know, it's it's used for good and bad, right? Right, right. <laughs> and so what's going to be hard about that is regulating it, but it's here to stay, and it's going to grow, and it's going to be a major piece of the growth story, not just by investing in AI, but how AI is going to affect the efficiency of other business. That's right. I mean, artificial intelligence is only so good right now. Chat GPT, we've talked about that before, but it only goes up to 2022. A lot has changed in the last two years, but now AI is being used for a lot of good things. But as you said, it's being used for some nefarious things as well, too. And among them, people will be getting these phone calls once in a while, elderly people, and it'll sound like it's a grandchild or something. Well, somehow nefarious people have gotten a hold of a sample of maybe a grandchild or a child's voice. They've used AI to have that voice say things like, I'm in jail, I need money. And that's the nefarious part of this artificial intelligence. And I would say just keep an eye on that because I think AI, just like robots and so forth, there are going to be some jobs that are going to go away, but there are also people who have looked at this uh, in the future and have said, I'm going to find a way to work this in my favor. So AI something to be concerned with. We're talking with Randy Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. We've been talking about current events. And if you have questions for Randy and Jake, I want to invite you to call us and request your complimentary Floyd Financial Group Retirement Reviews. Just a friendly conversation with Jake or Randy that will cover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation so you can proactively adjust your financial plan to address your retirement journey and any blind spots that might hinder you from reaching your goal. Once again, there's no cost. There is no obligation for this whatsoever. Certainly no judgment, just a friendly conversation for you to get to know Randy and Jake and to ask your questions and get the answers that you need. Now, that number to call to get yours today, 417-889-7233. That's right. You can call it today if you'd like. Simply leave your information there, your name and the telephone number. Ashley will give you a call back on Monday and set you up with an appointment. Once again, that number, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for another break, Randy. When we come back, we'll be talking about sequence of return risk, avoiding getting your goose cooked. All that and more when our show continues right here in 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. We're back with your financial catch of the day. 
and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your hosts, Randy Floyd and Jeff Shane. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy Floyd. You're listening to Show Me the Money, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about don't get your goose cooked by sequence of returns. <laughs> yeah. I love those sayings. I have begun to look up things like, where did these things come from? What is the etymology of not getting your goose cooked? And it is fascinating. Some of the things go back hundreds of years, but other ones have absolutely, there's no basis to them whatsoever. But I love those country terms that you come up with. But yeah, getting your goose cooked is one of those things that in this case is not good. And if you don't understand sequence of return risk, you could, in theory, get your goose cooked. So adjusting your portfolio to minimize the sequence of return risk that's going to help your money last well into retirement and beyond. So let's first of all talk about what is sequence of returns risk. So basically what it amounts to is the sequence of return risk says, hey, what is the environment that I'm retiring into? And especially early on in my first few years, what are the returns of my investment portfolio going to look like? Am I going to be retiring into a market that's going straight up and ballistic Mm -hmm. Am I in one that's going straight down ballistically <laughs> or something sideways? Over the long haul, we discussed today that since 2000, the stock market's returned nearly 7%. Mm -hmm. But during that time, think of this. We have had three major market downturns. We had 2001 and two, which the market was down 46%. Rallied back after that, made up some ground plus a little more. And in 2007, October was the start of the great financial crisis that we call it that ended up on March uh, 2nd, 2009, with the market being down 53%. Then it rallied back and we had COVID-19 in 2020 mm -hmm. and the market spiked down 20%. Then we put a whole bunch of money into the system and it ran back up again. And then we've had the 2022 downturn of 20%. And then we've kind of made up that and we're starting to get to positive again. What if you could have smoothed out that ride rather mm -hmm. than taking that ride? Or what if, you know, in today's world, we'd had some fixed interest income while everybody else is trying to mop up 22%. Right. Or what if we had mitigated our downside of 22% that the market had to only 10 and then when the market came back, we were able to capture 60, 70% of the gains. Would we have been ahead? The answer is yes. So the sequence of return thing is this. It's something we cannot control. Mm -hmm. It's something that we have to plan for so that we don't take too big a hit early on in our retirement years and we can't recover from it, thereby setting ourselves up for a lower income retirement. Right. And we've talked about this a number of times on the show, and it has taken several times for it to become really inordinately clear to me. So I want to break it down for listeners who may be hearing this for the first time. Of course, talking about sequence of return risk with Randy Floyd here of Floyd Financial Group. And as you said, it is the market that you're retiring into, whether the market is up, whether the market is down, and how that's going to affect your money here in the first few years. So we've always used uh, two fellows, Mr. Brown and Mr. Green. Mr. Brown and Mr. Green, they retired at different times, and both of them had $1 million. So let's talk about, uh, for example, Mr. Brown. He didn't retire possibly at the right time. Mr. Brown retired, like you said, with a million dollars, and we decided to take out a reasonable withdrawal rate. Now, depending on who you talk to, the reasonable amount to withdraw from your retirement plan right now, according to all the people out on Google and all that, 
Uh, they're going to tell you it's around 4% and then adjusted for inflation each year. So if inflation is 3%, if I'm taking 4 uh, how much of an increase is that on my withdrawal? Well, at 3% of 4% is 0.12. Mm-hmm. So in the second year, it'll be paying you 4.12% of your investment portfolio. A lot of people say, well, so it's going to 7? No, <laughs> that's not what we said. It's going from 4 to 4.12. So you'll get a small increase to try to help offset inflation. But here's the thing. If I'm taking 4%, I can tell you that I know we can take 5 And in this illustration, we're going to use 5% that Mr. Brown is going to take off his million dollars, mm-hmm. which would be $50,000 a year. If he's straight up in the market and we have a 2001 and 2, 2, 2000, 2001 and 2, or a 2007, 8, and 9, he's going to take a huge hit on his portfolio. In fact, as much as 50% as if he were in the S&P 500. So now all of a sudden, his 5% withdrawal, because he has half as much money, becomes a 10% withdrawal because he still has to have the same money to live on, right? Right. I mean, he doesn't stop living just because the market went down. I mean, a lot of people think that's what they would do, but you just can't do that, <laughs> no. you know? Or no. hopefully you don't stop living. Hopefully no. you live through <laughs> it. So that's the kind of thing. And then if markets, you know, if we're taking 10% out, markets grow back at 15 I mean, how much money do I actually make? Not very much. Because right. when you really do the math on that, if I had a hundred grand and I'm taking five thousand a year, now I'm down to fifty and I'm taking ten thousand out, and the market grows back fifteen percent on that fifty thousand, that's only seventy five hundred dollars. So I only made back half of what I lost over that that one year. It's gonna be really, really hard to get caught back up and get ahead. Yeah, in this uh, table that I'm visualizing, Mr. Brown on the left and Mr. Green on the right, and as you said, Mr. Brown retires at the wrong time, basically. He starts with a million dollars, but because of the market downturn in the first year, he may be down to 700000 and then he's got another loss and another loss, and then it bumps back up, but he doesn't recover from that. Then it bumps uh, up a little bit. This is Mr. Brown. It goes down a little bit. It goes up a little bit. Well, by the time he gets to about year 16, he doesn't have any money at all in a 30-year retirement. Now, let's talk about what happened with Mr. Green over there, Mr. Moneybags over there. That's how I think about Mr. Green with that million dollars. He retired at a little bit different time when the market went up right out of the gate. Yeah, and thereby he actually had more money after the first year than he started with by quite a lot. He still has those downturns to come, but because you got ahead of the game early on, he's able to withstand some of that. And here's one thing I don't want people to take away from this, and that is not that, well, gee, the market looks pretty bad right now. I can't retire. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. In fact, that's not what I'm saying at all. We had people that retired right in the middle of COVID when the market was plummeting. We had people retire right in the middle of that. They survived it. We pulled income and they are, I'm telling you, since then they're 20% ahead of where they started. So all through that, it doesn't mean that you cannot retire. It doesn't mean that you have to wait for the absolute perfect swinging of the pendulum Mm -hmm. to your favor to retire. All I'm saying is when we build a retirement plan, We want to capture the lion's share of the gains, yes, but we must mitigate risk. And by building portfolios that are structured properly, we can mitigate the risk so that when markets are favorable, you can still pull your income, 
you can recover from those downturns and actually end up having more money and also hedge for inflation. All right. So we said Mr. Brown ran out of money at uh, the 16th year, while in the 30th year, Mr. Green had something like $3 million. And it all is attributed to the sequence of returns risk. And it's not something that you can really control. However, as you said, you can mitigate this by having some safety mechanisms built in there. What are some of these specific safety mechanisms that we can use to avoid the fate of Mr. Brown? So one thing I want to say before we move on from this point here, too, is that, you know, if you're working right now and you are 10 plus years from retirement, you need to be aggressively invested in the S&P 500 or in the stock market. And you need to not worry about this sequence of returns so much. As you get within five years of retirement, we need to start thinking more about sequence of returns and what it might mean for you and actually getting a portfolio in place that's going to protect you from a series of really catastrophic events. By no means do I want people that are 10 years plus to be out of the market. I want them to be in the market and continue to fund your 401k. In fact, pour the gas on because when markets are down, mm-hmm. you're just buying more. But when you start to live out of your retirement assets, it is crucial that you have some protection in place is what I'm really saying. Now, to answer your question, Jeff, yes. what are some of the tools that we can use? So right now, we're using quite a bit of fixed income, whether that be money market accounts at five, five and a quarter percent, uh, maybe a little bit of CD money out there. We also have money in ultra short bond funds. We have money in treasury funds. We have uh, exchange traded funds that are very broad base corporate and government bonds. Those are yielding in the four to five percent range. But as interest rates start to come down, those things are going to also get price appreciation in addition to the interest that they are earning. So that's one thing to do. There are these things called fixed indexed annuities, Mm -hmm. fixed indexed annuities. And the other ones are called registered index linked annuities. And what they do is they link to uh, an S&P 500 or something or some type of index. Some of these have a 10% maximum loss to the downside. Some of them have no downside risk. Some will give you a hedge that says, hey, if the market goes down less than 20%, you lose no money. If it goes down 25%, you got a 20% hedge, so you're only down 5%. So there's lots of things out there. Now, you have to really be careful when you get into any financial product that you understand exactly what all the ramifications are. There are also things that are similar to annuities that we look at that uh, allow us to go out and buy into a certain, we can use options, call options today while we're waiting for the market to correct. There's just many, many different tools we can use. So bonds, stocks, annuities, fixed annuities, variable rate annuities. I want to be very careful about telling people to go out and buy a a straight up variable annuity. There's Mm -hmm. some risk there that we need to discuss if you're going to do something like that. But the registered index, index linked annuity is a great way to have some good market access and uh, yet mitigate the downside, which again, downside mitigation while capturing a significant amount of the upside is what we're about in retirement. So Randy, people are thinking about retiring. Get ahead of the game. I think that's what we're talking about here is taking a look at, like you said, what your income is going to be, what your expenses are, preparing to cut those expenses down in retirement. But you know, you just can't say, well, I'm going to fix this now and retire next month. You probably have to get ahead of that a little bit. And I'm talking about three, four, five years. 
If our listeners do have questions about sequence of return risk and how they can retire into almost any environment, once again, I want you to call Randy and Jake there at Floyd Financial Group and ask your questions to get the answers that you need to put you on a path towards a confident retirement. Now, once again, that telephone number, you know it, 417-889-7233. Call it this weekend. Leave your name, your telephone number. Ashley will call you back on Monday, set you up with an appointment so you can sit down with Randy and Jake and ask your specific questions. Remember, there is no blanket strategy. Everybody's an individual. You know, we've all got different fingerprints and it's the same way with our financial situation and our goal towards retirement. It's going to be a little bit different for everybody. These are custom retirement plans. Again, it doesn't cost you a dime to have a conversation with Randy and Jake. So do it today, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for another break, Randy. When we come back, we're going to be talking about trust. Do you need one? And when you don't need one? All that and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money. Because we're back with more straight talk and honest answers with Randy Floyd and Jeff Shea. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about four reasons retirees might need or want a trust. And Randy, just because an estate attorney or an ad recommends a trust doesn't mean that you actually need one or you don't need one. So let's go down this list of reasons why you may or may not need a trust. Okay, so first of all, let's define what a trust is and what it does versus just a simple will. So the first thing I want to tell tell people is, number one, I am not an attorney, but I've been working with attorneys on trusts and wills and powers of attorney and stuff like this really closely since about 2006. So I'm 17, 18 years into uh, understanding these things and working with them and being when I say working with them, I mean being on the receiving end when someone passes away and they have their assets in a trust. How does that work? So mm-hmm. I understand a lot about what's going on here, but I want to make that disclaimer that I'm not an attorney. However, if you are wanting to talk to somebody about a trust, we have attorneys that we can refer you to, even in-house if you prefer. So with that being said, why would somebody want to consider a trust? There's lots of ways to go about protecting your assets when you die. Now, generally, a trust is going to be used. There's two basic types. There's what's called a revocable living trust. Then there's this thing called an irrevocable trust. The revocable trust differs from the irrevocable trust in a couple of ways. Number one, you are generally, or you and your spouse, will be the trustee of your revocable trust. Generally, in an irrevocable trust, someone else, a person or a financial institution, is going to be the trustee. The trustee has the responsibility and the fiduciary duty to carry out what the trust says, either during your lifetime or after your death. So that's kind of what we want to differentiate there. And there's many different uses for these. The number one thing, I guess, Jeff, is people say, I definitely want to avoid probate. It has been said that leaving your stuff to your kids or whoever without a beneficiary designation or a trust is like filing a lawsuit against them. Right. <laughs> and, and truly it is because at the end of the day, if you haven't done some planning, it's going to be end up going through the probate court and then the court has to get paid and attorneys have to get paid. The other thing is it delays the 
pouring out of the money to the beneficiaries, if you will. Eight months is about the average in the state of Missouri, best you can do. Uh, so that's a long time. And now, by the way, too, the assets are frozen during this mm-hmm. time until the probate proceeding has been completed. So avoiding probate is a great thing to do. I often tell people, you won't care because you're not here. Right. But, <laughs> but, but your beneficiaries will say, that old codger's that are taking care of that. <laughs> well, you know, people say, well, I don't have a whole bunch. You know, maybe I've got my house a little bit uh, here and there. So all I'm going to do is a will. And certainly I would think that maybe a simple will is OK for some people. But as you said, a will just says, hey, we're going to go to probate and uh, things can be contested. I mean, wills can be contested. And that's a little bit different than a trust, right? Yes, that's true. Now, couple things I will say. You know, people can contest anything, but the trust is a lot more ironclad, especially, and, and I will say this too, um, I have seen a lot of trusts come across my desk over the years, and having a skilled attorney to draft the language in your trust, especially your beneficiary language, mm-hmm. division of assets language, and how all that plays out is crucial. I, I just can't tell you the number of times we've seen situations where... You know, mom and dad were going to leave the family farm to the four kids. Right. And they left it to them collectively, an undivided interest to the four kids. Now, even with a trust, the problem comes in is, well, what if two kids want to sell and the other two don't? Right. You may say, well, let us have the other kids buy those other people out. What if they can't afford to? You know, and then the other thing is, let's say that those four kids say, okay, well, you know, it's okay. And John says, you know, I'm the oldest, so I get the best land. Well, I don't know that that's true because all land is not created equal, right? You know, sometimes there's good parts and bad parts. Right. So I guess what I'm saying by this is having someone, an attorney that's skilled and has been doing trust for a while will pay you big dividends. It'll cost you more probably than than running down to your corner attorney that does, you know, all sorts of practice in in legal work, you're going to want to find someone that's really skilled at drafting a trust. Now, a trust will avoid probate. There's many ways to avoid probate in the state of Missouri. If you have land, you can use what's called a beneficiary deed. That means that you own the property all the days of your life, but the beneficiary deed says that when you draw your last breath, whoever you've named, your kids generally, uh, is who it would go to, and they can retitle the asset. Now, the only problem with that is, again, in the state of Missouri, if you're married and you want to sell that land, your spouse must sign off on it with you. And so if you have four kids and they're all married, now you got eight people that have to make a decision on what to do with that land they inherited. So the trust is, again, a better way to really spell out what you want to do there to avoid probate and also make sure that people get their just desserts, uh, really what you want to happen. And Randy, I've noticed that some people with houses, expensive houses, property, land like that, they have those properties in a trust. Can you explain why they would want to do something like that? Well, again, I mean, it it allows them to avoid probate. It also allows them to control who gets what and when they get it and how they get it. So many times, you know, if you have somebody that's, you know, you don't want to give a 25-year-old $2 million. No. Here you go. Catch. Oh, isn't that awesome? (laughs) When he's Uh, 27, he probably won't have it. Yeah, exactly. So many times, you know, the trust has language in there that says, hey, we can pay them out income or we can pay them a certain amount up front. And then over time at 25, 30, 35, we can give them assets, things like that. 
there's certain stipulations, things that you can put inside a trust that you just can't really do outside of a trust. You can't do that through a beneficiary arrangement other than having a trust set up. So it might be something like that. It may be that there's a, a family farm or something they want to keep separate. There may be that over the years, I know this happens a lot, one child needs a lot more help over a lifetime than another one. And so maybe we need to have this trust to actually divide the assets according to maybe what debt would have been owed or what they've already taken against their claim against on the estate as a beneficiary. So there's many, many things that, that happen, and that's why these people have these trusts in place, and sometimes multiple trusts because they have different setups for different kids. Yeah, I was interested in that because, you know, looking at property records and things, sometimes I've seen that, well, this house or this property belongs to John Smith, but yet there's another property that says this property belongs to the John Smith trust. Trust. So I always wondered about that. We're talking about reasons uh, retirees may or may not need a trust. We've talked about some of the reasons why you may need a trust. Randy, what are some of the reasons why you may not need a trust and where maybe a simple will would do? Let's say that you're a single person, you don't own any, any real property, you don't have any kids, and you want everything to go to your sister. And you have an IRA and a checking account. Okay. Well, you can put a pay on death on your checking account, and you can put your sister on as a beneficiary on your IRA. You never see the light of day of probate. Everything passes, and you're done. That's it. Yeah. So it's pretty clean, pretty simple, no probate. We also alluded to the fact that if you do have real estate, you can use the beneficiary deed. So if you have one child... The beneficiary deed can be a good way to go about doing that. But there's also some things that you could do that might help you to plan in the eventuality of a long-term care stay, a nursing home, or something like that through using a properly structured irrevocable trust, assigning that person as trustee, along with all these these uh, trusts, whether it's revocable or irrevocable, generally a good practitioner, a good attorney was going to do powers of attorney for health care, powers of attorney for finance, which is a very crucial document if you don't have one. Everybody over the age of 18 needs one because it tells how things are to go in the event of your incapacity. You may not need a trust if you just don't have a lot of kids or a lot of assets. If you have a blended family, you definitely are going to need a trust or maybe more than one, depending on what the situation is and when the marriage occurred and, and how assets were brought into the marriage. So there's just a lot of reasons to need one, and there's a lot of reasons, you know, if you don't have a lot of complex distribution issues upon your death, then maybe you just need a will for your personal property and things of that nature, and then everything else can be handled through a beneficiary designation. All right, so you have some very straightforward wishes. I mean, your your estate's not complicated. You don't have a lot, and then maybe a simple will would be okay for you. So you really have to think about it. Now, let's talk about this trust. Okay, so I've gone and I've gotten this trust. Have you ever seen anybody who said, yes, I have a trust and it's beautiful and they got it and then they put it on the shelf, but they didn't put anything into the trust. They just thought, you know, getting the trust was the end of it. They didn't fund it at all. Yeah, you're exactly right. So trust funding is a crucial, crucial part. As you alluded to, Jeff, just because I have a trust doesn't give it any value. It only has value as it has authority over what is titled in the name of that trust. So if there's nothing titled that way, in other words, if you have the Randy Floyd Trust and it doesn't have a bank account, an IRA, a piece of property, or something like that that is titled in the name of that trust, it has no authority over anything that I own as a person. Think of a trust as a third party, what we would call a legal entity, if you will. It is a fiction. It's not a person. Right. You're the person. But what it really does is it holds things 
for you under the terms that you have created within the limits of the law. Okay, Randy, so someone's listened to this uh, part of the show and they've decided, I think a trust would be right for me. I'm going to go to Floyd Financial Group. As you said, you guys are not trust planning attorneys, but you can really point someone in the right direction or you can do sort of the legwork, the groundwork to put them in the position that when they do get to the attorney, they know what to ask for. Yes, but I would also say this. At Floyd Financial Group, as an investment partner, we understand how trusts work. And so when you bring us one, and we're looking at funding, we're going to see some things that are either right or wrong many times as mm-hmm. far as how it's titled or if it's titled or if it's in the name of the trust or if it's the beneficiary of the trust, the asset that you have with us, or if you have it to a child or part of it to a trust, part of it to a child. We know how to deal with all those sorts of things. The attorney is going to be the one that's going to actually be the the drafter and the creator of that document for you. And I'm going to tell you that, again, you need someone that's a skilled practitioner that's been doing it for a while, that's seen the outcomes of trusts that have not been properly written. Trusts are are basically written in a formulaic manner. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing with all of these contingencies built in, So that if somebody dies out of order or something happens that you don't expect, we have a contingency plan already built in. And we've really thought through all of the things that are negative (laughs) that can happen to you. (laughs) All right. And they can happen to you, too. Randy, if our listeners are hearing the program today and they're asking themselves, do I need a trust? Or maybe they've got a trust. They want somebody to look it over again. Highly encourage you to get in touch with Floyd Financial Group. Certainly, they can help you a lot with your estate planning, which might include a trust. That number to call, 417-889-7233 for your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment consultation, which will include estate planning, as I said. There's no cost. There's no obligation for this. And certainly, there is no judgment whatsoever. It's a casual conversation. It is a no-tie zone, so why wouldn't you call it this weekend? 417-889-7233. It's a simple call that could make all the difference. 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Randy, we've had a great, great show today. We've talked about current events and how it affects our listeners. We've talked about not getting your goose cooked here with sequence of return risk. And also, we've talked about trust. If you've missed any part of the program today, you want to hear it all over again, simply go to wherever you get your podcast, search for Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd. You'll find this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey towards a successful retirement. Randy, out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, but most importantly, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. For Randy Floyd, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. The information provided in the preceding program is for educational purposes only and are not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein believed to be from reliable sources, however, we make no representations as to its completeness or accuracy. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy. Financial planning offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC, an investment advisor registered in the state of Missouri. 